Hello, everybody. Uh, it's, a, it's a great pleasure to introduce uh, John Barron. Um, he's a, a professor in community and family medicine, at, as, and he has been um, at Dartmouth since uh, 1979. So he's one of our uh, most illustrious, um, ongoing, and um, uh, well-renowned professor. Uh, he also teaches at, uh, you are, sorry, is a member of the faculty at UNC. Um, he's been leading the polyp prevention study group for uh, about 25 years, and um, it's had major impacts in our understanding of the etiology of polyps and um, their growth and the influence of um, various factors, uh, aspirin use, NSAIDs. Um, and it's been a great uh, resource for the development of new um, interventional chemoprevention studies. Uh, so it's it's a great pleasure to have him um, present for us. Uh, he's again he was a leader of the uh, cancer etiology group here for since 1993 um, until going to UNC. So he's had major continues to have major impact on uh, research at Dartmouth and. Um, uh, works with many of the investigators here, so it's it's very nice that you're presenting for us. I do have to uh, say a few things. So, um, uh, the, a potential conflict of interest is that Dartmouth College and Dr. Barron um, hold the use patent for chemo prevention, preventive use of calcium, which is uh, currently unlicensed. Um, Alan Hartford, um, MD, PhD, and course director for this CME. Um, reports that this relationship with industry has been resolved by validating the content of the presentation. And he's not receiving any direct payments from a commercial entity. Uh, so again, John, thank you very much for uh, presenting. Well, it's nice to be back up here at the height of summer. Um, so uh, it really seriously is a pleasure to be here talking to you all. Here's my uh, disclosures again. Uh, identical to what uh, Chris has just told you. So uh, the plan for today uh, is, uh, as set out here, I'd like to say a few words about chemo prevention in general. I'd like to introduce some old friends, uh, vitamin D and calcium, uh, and uh, tell you about colorectal adenomas a bit. And then we'll get into a clinical trial that our group um, uh, recently completed, not yet published. And finally, there'll be uh, discussions, apologies, and weak explanations for uh, what we've seen. So let's talk a little bit about chemo prevention. That's the use of drugs for prevention. It's something that's moderately new for cancer, but is well established uh, for a cardiovascular disease. We're all very familiar with taking aspirin to inhibit platelet pathways, taking uh, drugs like statins to uh, inhibit the lipoprotein. Uh, pathways and uh, interfering with uh, blood pressure. Um, and uh, the cancer field deliberately tried to mimic uh, the cardiovascular field in using uh, medications to interfere with the disease process. Now, this involves a very subtle change of focus, one that Mike Sporn pointed out about 25 or 30 years ago. We're no longer now focusing on the disease endpoint. We're focusing on the process that leads to the disease. So in the case of cancer, we're not looking at cancer anymore. We're looking at carcinogenesis. And the reason that's important is that I don't have cancer. Chris doesn't have cancer. Uh, most of you don't have cancer, but all of you have, to some degree or another, carcinogenesis ongoing in your body. 
transform cells develop, uh, are removed, and so on. And so carcinogenesis is a much more general content, a little uh, slippier, uh, but uh, more uh, appropriate for uh, people like you and me. Now, uh, as it turns out, the late 20th century uh, developed a lot of research regarding chemoprevention, both of cardiovascular disease and cancer. I'd like to go over uh, some of those and, and what happened with them. The first one to get wide um, coverage was beta-carotene, an antioxidant. That was thought not only to prevent many cancers, but to reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease, MI and stroke, for example. And uh, in a big embarrassment to the preventive health field, not only did, they, did beta-carotene not work, but in several trials, this is incredible, it increased risk of lung cancer, the disease that was uh, studied to be, uh, to, to, the studies were designed to prevent, and increased cardiovascular mortality, and, and this is very hard to do, it increased all-cause mortality. Normally a parameter that's very stable, but beta-carotene was able to increase all-cause mortality in some studies, in some randomized studies. So beta-carotene was uh, something that uh, we'd like to put into the uh, past. Uh, other antioxidants were subsequently studied, vitamin C and vitamin E, uh, and they have been found to not work. There are, are a few suggestions of very slightly increased risks here and there, but basically they don't work, they don't do good, they don't do harm. The next uh, chemopreventive agent to come on the horizon was aspirin, and aspirin works big time. This is really an amazing success for preventive medicine. And I hope you realize what an incredible drug this is. Uh, it's uh, widely known that it uh, has a beneficial effect in cardiovascular settings. So uh, even in an acute setting of a myocardial infarction, aspirin provides a benefit. And then taking it in a preventive sense will uh, reduce risk of uh, myocardial infarction and stroke. Um, it turns out, and this is a new discovery in the last 10 years, uh, that aspirin also prevents cancer, and it prevents it big time. The big problem is uh, that it, there's a waiting period. It takes five, 10, maybe more years before the cancer prevention begins, sort of a latent period of effect. Um, but that's been documented in long-term follow-up of cardiovascular trials. So aspirin is a really amazing win for uh, preventive medicine and uh, actually uh, healthy people uh, all over. Um, the next fashionable uh, preventive agent, <coughs> widely thought to uh, prevent cancer and cardiovascular disease, was folic acid and other folates. Well, for cardiovascular disease, there's no question. It's, it's really settled. Uh, folic acid supplementation does not prevent MI, does not prevent stroke. Um, our group published a paper suggesting that it may increase carcinogenesis in the large bowel. Um, other people have... Uh, found um, other uh, results. Um, it does look like uh, folic acid is uh, something that promotes uh, carcinogenesis in the uh, prostate, however. Nonetheless, there are still people who are hopeful that folic acid will uh, prevent uh, some cancer somehow. And that brings us to vitamin D, which is currently the vitamin du jour. It's the uh, tonic that um, many people think will uh, deal with uh, the malaise of uh, chronic diseases in uh, the 21st century. So let's see uh, what about uh, vitamin D. Now this slide uh, uh, illustrates the hopes that some people have for vitamin D. 
It's, uh, this is sort of a hermaphrodite picture. Uh, but you see the wide variety of, of problems or diseases that have been floated to be uh, things that are prevented by vitamin D supplementation. Uh, and similar pictures could have been drawn uh, 15 years ago about folic acid and 25 years ago about beta carotene. But vitamin D is uh, currently the favorite. Well, what about vitamin D? Uh, vitamin D, we're all familiar with. It's uh, something that's good for calcium metabolism and, and burn. Um, if you obtain it uh, through ultraviolet radiation in the skin and from diet, um, and it's got a particular metabolism uh, that I might as well point out. You start with the precursor in the diet or in the skin, and through two hydroxylation reactions, one in the liver, then in the kidney, it's uh, activated to the most active compound. And uh, because this step is so tightly controlled metabolically, uh, the 25-hydroxy vitamin D levels are the best measure of vitamin D status in the body. You have to be have very high vitamin D status or very low before this level is perturbed. All right, where do you get vitamin D? As I said, you get it from sunlight. And uh, if you are naked and get one um, minimum erythema dose, that is the amount of uh, ultraviolet light over your whole body uh, that will just begin to create erythema, that's the equivalent of 10,000 units orally. Uh, it's in fatty fish and, and liver. Um, the amount of vitamin D depends on the vitamin D status of the animals. Uh, it's in eggs, uh, milk in the U.S., not in some European countries. And, of course, you can get it from supplements. Now, one of the exciting things for epidemiologists about vitamin D is that uh, uh, people who are obese have lower levels than slimmer people. Uh, alcohol and smoking are associated with lower levels. Uh, Cross supplement use is associated with higher levels. Exercise is associated with higher levels. And dairy intake is associated with higher levels. Um, in other words, unfortunately, vitamin D status is associated with general health. People with high vitamin D status are healthy. And that creates problems when you're studying vitamin D, because uh, unless you can somehow control or deal with this general health, uh, vitamin D may just be a marker of, of being uh, in good shape. Now, the idea that vitamin D might be protective against cancer began with something like this. It's a county-by-county county map of colon cancer mortality. And as you see, there are high rates in the Northeast. And this um, map becomes interesting when you compare it with this one, which is skin cancer, melanoma map. Now, let's go back and forth. One map is blue where the other is red and vice versa. And this led to the hypothesis, widely ridiculed at the time, including by me, that uh, vitamin D and sunlight might explain the uh, low rates in sunny areas of the country and might explain the high rates in the areas of the country that did not get as much vitamin D. And in fact, there are uh, reasons now uh, to understand that vitamin D may well have effects beyond bone and calcium. Uh, Anti-carcinogenic effects have been um, documented widely in in vitro studies with many um, effects that are associated with uh, anti-neoplastic um, influences. Promotes aptosis, for example, and induces differentiation. And uh, particularly in the large bowel, 
epidemiological studies have found that individuals with high amounts of vitamin D in their diet or with high levels of 25-hydroxy vitamin D have a lower risk of colorectal cancer. And I I've put here uh, oops, some meta-analysis slides uh, illustrating that. So for diet, there's a small decreased risk. For, for the blood level, there's a much more substantial decreased risk, as you would expect, because uh, assessing diet uh, you can, uh, is associated with a lot of measurement error, and that tends to wash out um, many of the associations under study. So uh, the epidemiology of uh, vitamin D and colorectal cancer is quite strong. It looks like vitamin D is a winner in the large bowel. Now, there's a, a friend of vitamin D's, calcium. Uh, uh, calcium goes along with uh, uh, vitamin D. It's controlled by vitamin D. And um, about 30 years ago, uh, Harold Newmark, a, a brilliant man, uh, published a, a, a hypothesis that calcium would protect against the colorectal cancer. This has nothing to do with vitamin D now. It's basically just high school chemistry. The calcium in the lumen of the bowel binds bile acids and other fatty acids that irritate the mucosa of the colon if they get there. By binding them and precipitating them out of the biological solution, uh, they render them harmless for the mucosa. And these, these combinations, these soaps, as they're called, have been observed in animals. And in animal studies, giving um, rodents uh, calcium supplements does reduce considerably experimental carcinogenesis. And epidemiological studies have also found repeatedly that a high calcium diet uh, is associated with a low risk of colorectal cancer. And here's a meta-analysis uh, that uh, illustrates this. Um, this you see that uh, the, the more calcium in the diet, the lower the risk. This doesn't look very dramatic, but remember this is a log scale. So actually this represents quite a substantial uh, decrease in risk with increasing dietary calcium. So uh, back uh, 20 plus years ago or so, uh, my colleagues at Dartmouth here and, and uh, collaborators at other institutions decided to do a randomized study to test the idea that calcium would interfere with colorectal carcinogenesis. Now, um, doing a study that has cancer as an endpoint is a big deal. Tens of thousands of subjects, many, many uh, years of study, simply unaffordable and impractical. But we used adenomas as a surrogate endpoint for colorectal cancer as a way to study colorectal carcinogenesis, the process. So um, let me say a word about adenomas. Uh, colorectal adenomas are precursors to about three quarters of colorectal cancers. The other quarter are derived from the newly recognized serrated polyps and pathway. The adenomas share molecular features with colorectal cancer. They share risk factors with colorectal cancer. And, and a very important uh, uh, advantage, they're earlier lesions, which means that you could expect that an intervention like a pill or whatever would have an effect earlier on polyps, on adenomas, than it would on cancer itself. And I've shown here some pictures of uh, um, adenomas as they appear through an endoscope. The one on the right, there's a snare around the polyp, uh, and uh, that uh, pedunculated lesion is uh, about to be uh, excised. Now, there's another nice thing 
I'd say this uh, tongue in cheek, there's a nice thing about colorectal ad and adenoma patients, we know where to get them. They hang around GI offices all over the country. <laughs> they uh, get their polyps out, um, and um, they are told to come back after a certain number of years to get rechecks because there's a worry that these adenomas may grow back. Not the same adenomas, but uh, somewhere in the bowel. So um, the gastroenterologists uh, collect them, stare them uh, by telling them how dangerous these things are. Probably an exaggeration, but nonetheless, uh, they do uh, understand that they're at some risk of future trouble. And they come back to the same gastroenterologist. So it's a perfect setup for a study. We uh, go to the gastroenterologist's office, we uh, recruit the subjects, we uh, look over their shoulders as they go through routine uh, clinical care, and we just uh, collect the data. So it works out uh, quite well research-wise. And the study we did was called the Calcium Polyp Prevention Study. We used adenomas as a sur surrogate biomarker, as I mentioned. There were six centers in the US. Dartmouth was the coordinating center, <coughs> and the clinical center, of course. Uh, all subjects had a recent adenoma within a few months and a clean colon. That means no other polyps were seen in the bowel after the removal of, of the adenomas. And we gave individuals 1,200 milligrams of calcium as carbonate or placebo. And we followed them up according to the standards of the day. And here's what we found. The relative risk of any adenoma after randomization was decreased, was 0.85, a decrease of 15%. Not really that exciting when you think about it. But when we uh, looked more deeply, we saw that uh, there was a much more substantial decrease in risk for the endpoint of advanced adenoma. So those with histological features that suggested a closer connection to carcinogenesis. Uh, of course, we had a few cancers that occurred in the group. Um, and, and those are included in the category as well. And another interesting feature um, that came out was sort of a surprise. We noticed that the benefit of calcium in our trial was restricted to sites that were sunny. So Dartmouth, no benefit. Minnesota, ixnay on the benefit. But uh, uh, California, uh, North Carolina, that's where there seemed to be a benefit. This led us to measure vitamin D levels in the patients. And we found that there was no benefit of calcium in individuals who had lower levels of vitamin D. And all the calcium benefit was concentrated in among individuals who had a higher levels of, of <coughs> circulating vitamin D at the start of the trial. In other words, calcium and vitamin D were working together to reduce the risk of adenomas. There wasn't a single calcium effect and a vitamin D effect. It was a single combined effect, apparently. OK, well, that leads us to this trial, which has just uh, completed. Uh, and again, it was a trial that's coordinated out of Dartmouth. Uh, the group has now grown to 11 centers. And we follow, basically, we're following up the calcium result trying to see if, uh, of course, if we see the calcium result again, uh, looking to see if there's that interaction between calcium and vitamin D, whether the uh, calcium <coughs> effect is concentrated in, among the vitamin D replete individuals. And of course, we wanted to see what vitamin D did, it, did on its own, because that is uh, the fashionable uh, vegetable <laughs> vitamin these days. 
So uh, we had a, a very similar design to the calcium study I just described. We gave a dose of vitamin D, 1,000 IU a day. This is just a little bit higher than the typical <laughs> supplements that people might take now. Uh, when we began the trial, 1,000 IU of vitamin D was considered a high dose, and I had to strong arm uh, it was uh, Letterly American Home Products, now Pfizer, to make a pill that had 1,000 IU in it. Now, uh, 15 years later, uh, this is recognized as a, moderate, as a moderate dose or even a low dose. Uh, and we used the same dose of calcium as we did uh, in the previous study. And we had uh, basically a factorial design, uh, which means that uh, subjects would get one, one treatment, vitamin D or calcium, or the other, or both, or neither. So if you think about a two-bedroom table crossed. We did allow women who were anxious about potential osteoporosis to get calcium on their demand and be randomized only to vitamin D. So the participants were 45 to 75 years old. They had a recent adenoma, clean colonoscopy, um, where that is no polyps remaining in the bowel. And of course, they uh, uh, have had to be in basic good health and suitable for the study. By that, I mean they didn't uh, need vitamin D or calcium. If they had a diagnosis of osteoporosis, they were out. Uh, if they had uh, diseases for, which put them at risk for vitamin D toxicity, sarcoidosis, and other granulomatous disease, they couldn't uh, get in. And if someone had a, a low vitamin D level, less than 12 nanograms per milliliter, uh, they, they, they needed vitamin D and couldn't be in the study. And here's a schema of uh, how it worked. Uh, we had, uh, of course, the recruitment period uh, and baseline uh, qualifying colonoscopy. Uh, bloods were collected and a lot of data, medical history, medication history, typical lifestyle factors, diet, and a food frequency questionnaire. We used a run-in period to sort of test out the patients to see if they could cooperate with uh, uh, the questionnaires and, uh, and if they uh, were comfortable taking the study tablets. Uh, if they uh, did uh, uh, successfully pass the run-in period, we randomized them. Uh, one year later, we got some bloods. And then, um, okay. Um, is this, it's not a fire alarm. All right. Um, anyway, subjects uh, had either a three-year or a five-year follow-up as mandated by the local pathologist uh, endoscopist, and uh, we followed them correspondingly for three or five years. And at the end of their uh, participation, we got uh, uh, blood samples. Um, and of course, the colonoscopy would have occurred then uh, as per expectation. Now, uh, we just think about the work that involves here. We, we, the center screened over 19,000 patients, um, and uh, 2,800 plus uh, enrolled, and uh, 2,259 were randomized. So it's a real testament to the work of, of the coordinators to uh, get through all this. Uh, and uh, in the analysis I'm going to show you, there were uh, almost 2,100 subjects with uh, at least one exam one year or more after randomization. 
So these subjects were uh, pretty typical of adenoma patients these days. Uh, they were uh, predominantly male, late middle age and, and mean age, uh, largely Caucasian, uh, <clears throat> relatively low proportion current smoking, and um, uh, more or less uh, what you would expect for alcohol. Uh, a striking uh, presence of obesity uh, in this group. Actually, that might be naive. Maybe that's just uh, the US. But anyway, 37% uh, were obese. Um, and uh, about half had a five-year uh, uh, randomization callback, and half had a three-year. What's really interesting is the uh, decision between three or five years made by the local clinicians depended more on the clinical center than on the characteristics of the patients. So different centers had different preferences that didn't seem to correspond to the patient's characteristics. Uh, we did very well in the study. 93% uh, of uh, patients had a, a, a study colonoscopy that we could use in the analysis. Uh, a few, of course, were lost to, uh, to follow up. And the compliance with the uh, regimen was uh, very good. 80% um, of subjects reported that they took at least 80% of their tablets, and almost 90% reported that they took more than half. And the biggest challenge, though, was to keep patients, keep subjects in the trial from getting our study agents at the grocery store or, or other places. There's a big difference between these kind of studies and chemotherapy studies. So uh, we went to great lengths to discourage them. And we, we had very good success. Uh, a few subjects reported any use of calcium supplements, about 500 milligrams a day or more. Uh, and uh, even fewer reported uh, vitamin D supplements of, as, as, as large as our study intervention. <coughs> so basically, we, we were satisfied that we were separating the, the groups in terms of their calcium and vitamin D intake. Now, um, the net effect of vitamin D supplementation on serum 25-hydroxy uh, vitamin D, the best measure of vitamin D status, was uh, over 7 uh, nanograms per milliliter. That's about, Judy, can you remind me? I think it's about 2 thirds of a population standard deviation. Um, uh, so it was a substantial shift uh, upwards for the people randomized to vitamin D. So what do we find? Uh, when we look at one or more adenomas, uh, it's fair to say we found nothing. We found nothing for vitamin D. We found nothing for calcium. Big surprise. And we didn't see uh, the interaction between calcium and vitamin D either. The study was very, very, very null. When we looked at advanced adenomas, uh, unfortunately, the story was, uh, again, null. Uh, vitamin D uh, did not have an impact. Calcium uh, had no impact as well. And calcium, uh, vitamin D did not add much to uh, calcium. And in any case, what it did add was not statistically significant and consistent with chance. So that, after 13 years of work, was a letdown. Uh, of course, we uh, looked at other things along the way. And um, uh, calcium and vitamin D uh, had no material effect on mortality, although 
with such low numbers, we couldn't expect to see anything either. Uh, likewise for MI and stroke. For cancer, there were more endpoints. And um, well, if you squint, you might be able to see uh, a reduced risk of all cancers in the vitamin D group. But that's not statistically significant. And uh, with those numbers, you basically wouldn't expect it to be. Uh, of course, we were interested in possible toxicities specific to calcium and vitamin D. We uh, did see what's recorded there, an increase in risk of kidney stones with uh, calcium. Um, and we were surprised that by the non-significant reduction in kidney stones with vitamin D. One thing that did come out of the study was that individuals randomized to calcium had a slight increase in creatinine levels, reflecting presumably some impairment of renal function. This was limited to a small group of subjects. Uh, the clinical significance of this is unclear, but uh, it, it def definitely did happen and caused us some worries along the way. Um, <coughs> fracture results. Um, uh, are, of course, relevant. Uh, we'll be analyzing these uh, after we get data during the post-treatment follow-up period. But there are non-significant hints of benefit there. OK, so what do we conclude by all this? Uh, it's, summarizing the studies is easy. Uh, calcium, vitamin D, did not reduce gadanoma risk, period. That's the way it is. Calcium and vitamin D were safe. We didn't see striking new toxicities. Uh, and that calcium caused an unexpected small increase in blood creatinine levels. Now, how do we explain this? Well, let's start with vitamin D. Um, as in uh, some of the um, research that was done regarding beta carotene, antioxidants, and folic acid, it may be that the, all the observational data that uh, led us to believe that vitamin D would be helpful, maybe that's wrong. It's just that vitamin D is a marker of health, and that's pushing the epidemiology to inappropriate conclusions regarding, uh, uh, regarding efficacy uh, for uh, cancer prevention. And that's uh, possible. Uh, the other possibility is that our dose is too low. The vitamin D field has uh, really progressed considerably since we planned the study. And uh, if I had uh, had the ability to use a higher dose, I would have used a higher dose. Um, and it's possible that we just didn't increase the vitamin D levels of our subjects enough to make a difference. We excluded about 1%. It was really a very small proportion. Um, um, now, uh, in trying to put our results into perspective, I looked back at the meta-analyses of vitamin D levels in, cancer, in colorectal cancer risk. And um, you know, there's uh, maybe 10 or 12 uh, studies that are relevant for this. Um, most of them have found. Um, a, a relative risk that would lead us to predict that uh, the amount of change in vitamin D levels in our study would have yielded a, re, uh, a relative risk of 
And that's outside the confidence limits of our finding. So basically, our, our study results are incompatible with most of the epidemiology today. And I hedge that because there's one recent study that showed not only no association of vitamin D levels with colorectal cancer, it's but a slight increase. And whether or not the meta-analysis included that study, of course, changes their summary estimates. Um, but um, there's something other than uh, the fact that our dose may be too low. We did give enough vitamin D to be able to see an effect if it was as described in the observational literature. But we didn't. Well, what about calcium? Um, this is uh, another story. Uh, the reasons for the differences between our findings now and those in the previous trial are really not clear. But we have noticed that the patients in, in the current trial are quite different from the patients in the previous one. And I I'll show you here some examples of those differences. Uh, I start with years because um, the colonoscopy technology used uh, during the first trial is completely different than the colonoscopy uh, done now. So we're able to see smaller polyps and uh, get better discrimination of, of the lesions from the mucosa. Um, I want to point out, too, that our uh, study is less, the current study is less male, younger, much is heavier. I pointed out already the high prevalence of obesity. They smoke less, use a lot more calcium supplements when they came into the trial, use vitamin D supplements a lot more, and, and multivitamin supplements a lot more. Now, I left a blank here for 25-hydroxyvitamin uh, D levels at baseline. I did measure vitamin D levels in both studies, but they <coughs> used different analytic methods, and I'm not anxious to compare them. Now, um, to put the vitamin D result in, in best perspective, I'd like to point out something else about vitamin D trials. <coughs> Uh, a number of trials have looked at uh, vitamin D supplementation and its effect on all-cause mortality. And this is a meta-analysis figure from one of the recent ones. And you see that uh, uh, trials reporting on vitamin D3, uh, basically a, 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 the form of vitamin that you might get from animal sources or, uh, and is in most supplements, there was a 11% uh, reduction in all-cause mortality in subjects randomized to vitamin D. That, that's big news. That's a lot. Vitamin D2, ergo calciferol, uh, as you might get in um, plant products, um, uh, sh did not show the same thing. It's been known for some years that vitamin D3 is a better supplement than vitamin D2. So here we have a situation where uh, our adenoma trial is negative. There are some other studies are beginning to come out that suggest that vitamin D is not as great as people had said it was. But all, all along, there's been this finding that has emerged that vitamin D supplementation in trials is associated with lower mortality. That, and <laughs> that has to be good. The reason this hasn't taken off 
uh, uh, so a lot of caveats about vitamin D that um, uh, are just below the surface of the meta-analyses. Most of the trials that are summarized in this uh, meta-analysis are conducted among elderly subjects, many of them in nursing homes, who are frankly frail and very likely quite vitamin D deficient. The generalizability of that, that subject pool to people like you and me is, is, is not clear. The other thing that's very puzzling is that there's a paradoxical dose-response relationship seen in these meta-analyses. Lower doses are better than higher doses of vitamin D. Um, and uh, I don't understand that. I'm still working on that, but I, I don't, I can't understand it. Things like that keep these meta-analyses from taking off and reaching the headlines. Okay, so uh, in summary, wh where are we? Well, uh, for both vitamin D and calcium in colorectal cancer prevention, the final word isn't, it's hardly in. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. We're beginning to look at the differences between the current trial and the older calcium trial to try to understand uh, what uh, might explain the differences. And we're getting some hints that there may be something there, but we won't know until we finish and, and do a, a complete analysis. And unfortunately, that analysis will have to wait until we complete the paper and analysis for the main trial results. Vitamin D may, in fact, still be a winner. Uh, the mortality findings I just presented certainly are encouraging. The um, unusual aspects of the trial uh, need attention, however. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, our study and other evidence that's beginning to come out indicate that vitamin D may not be as have the widespread benefits that people are hoping. Okay, now uh, the, the trial results I presented are um, obviously the work of a, of a crowd of people, and many of them are in, in the room today. Um, um, and these are some of the investigators who helped uh, do the work over an amazing 13 or 14 years from uh, the grant application to study completion, and the study is still ongoing. So I wish I could put everyone's name on, but it would be um, uh, way, way too long. So I think um, any applause today should go to the people who did the work, and they're sitting about four rows back. So I want to applaud them. And that's all. I'd be happy to answer questions. Yeah. Um, what about uh, maybe interaction with smoking? That's something that's changed. And this, like, smoking physiologically interact with uh, vitamin D or calcium? Smoking may interact with vitamin D uh, metabolism. Um, uh, and we, we're, we're starting to look at that effect. The interacting factor that's most relevant is actually obesity. Um, vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin, and vitamin D, to, first, to beginner's uh, understanding, distributes throughout the adipose tissue mass. As a result, uh, obese people have lower levels, uh, even for a given amount of supplementation. So we're working on that and trying to get it all into perspective. Um, and I, I think obesity has something to do with it. I don't know if it has everything to do with it.
Yes. Do you think maybe adenoma patients have a compromised ability to uh, get vitamin D from their diets, that maybe they rely more on the sunlight version? Quite frankly, um, most of us have to rely on uh, sunlight because it's um, uh, the dietary uh, vitamin D is variable and often quite limited. Um, so sunlight is a major source for many, many people. Um, I'm not aware of any syndrome of decreased absorption of vitamin D, although if, if you have trouble absorbing fat, you would uh, have a problem there, obviously because this is a fat-soluble vitamin. So uh, people with steatorrhea or um, pancreatic insufficiencies, uh, so on, might could conceivably have trouble. Yes? Related to that sunlight question, I, is it possible to analyze them based on how much they, vitamin D they have rather than what group they were randomized into? If, if some people had more sunlight, so possibly they have that supplemental vitamin D? Yes, we do that because we, we have 25 hydroxy vitamin D levels at baseline. And we've looked for the association uh, with adenomas uh, in the placebo group. And there was actually no association. That's something I, we need to work on some more to understand better. So in our population, we had a negative observational study embedded in it. John, I noticed that you have uh, more people who, who had uh, supplementation in the second trial at baseline. Yeah. And has that, have you looked at that as a, as a subgroup? Yeah, we, we've done things like that. We've, yeah. uh, we've, quite frankly, looked, I use a technical term here, we've used, we looked at subgroups up the yin yang, and uh, <laughs> we have not found anything that's uh, very revealing, except possibly for a BMI, but that's just a preliminary finding. Hal. So, John, what about the hypothesis of Harold Newmark? Is there actually evidence that calcium reduces the amount of bile uh, in, in the gut? Um, well, it, it wouldn't reduce the total amount of bile, it, but it, it would reduce the bioavailable amount of bile. The bile is still in the gut, it's just bound out. And there is evidence in animals. Yeah, and in fact, in many ways, the calcium result is the most puzzling. We thought we understood calcium. Our trial had shown a benefit. Two other trials had shown a benefit from calcium in humans. Animals, it was clear. In vitro studies, everything came together very nicely. And then we got this. Uh, and uh, so we're, we really are motivated to work on this and try to understand if it's a negative or if there's something about our population that's inconsistent with the previous results. You know, the vitamin D result, it could be just like beta carotene and antioxidants. It's an idea, it turned out to be wrong. But that's life. But the calcium one had a lot behind it, and, and we're worried about that. You know, another thing that's changed is that you have previous studies now that showed aspirin as protective. And so I just wonder if your population, you know, they're sort of healthy people. Maybe they are taking baby aspirin for the rest of it. Uh, you know, that's a thought. We haven't looked at aspirin takers and non-takers. Lee, put that on your list. Um, but uh, but the, the adenoma risk 
in the placebo group is the same as, very, very similar to what we saw before. Was that a day or per week? I think it was per day. Was it per day? day. Uh, I, we didn't exclude them. Lee, um, we can look at that. I don't recall specifically. Uh, Lee, do you remember anything about alcohol subgroup? I don't think we've looked at it. All right, put that on your list, please. <laughs> yeah. So, in the final analysis, uh, would you recommend uh, taking vitamin D, and if so, how much? <laughs> I have been through each of these fads. I took beta carotene for a few months. I've taken vitamin E. Um, I still do not take aspirin. Um, I, um, I, 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 you know what I usually tell people? Talk to your doctor. Uh, <laughs> but I have an anecdote that's really interesting. Um, in my own medical care, without asking me, my general internist got a vitamin D level. And it was below the stated desired range. So he said, you should take vitamin D. And I, my response was, well, why did you measure it? Mm -hmm. And um, after that discussion, I went home and I started taking vitamin D. Um, I don't know. <laughs> if I was uh, elderly and in a nursing home, and I'm not there yet, I, I would. Uh, probably do it. Uh, but you know, there are things that you do all the time in medicine where you don't really know. Um, and right now, vitamin D is one of them. But even admitting that you don't know irritates some people, vitamin D enthusiasts who are pushing this all the time. You read about vitamin D everywhere. All right, thank you very much for coming.